unto you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The primary text for today, the third Sunday in Lent, is the Holy Gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 6. In our sermon series, the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount continues today with the ninth installment. The title of the sermon is really asking a question, saying, worried and anxious? So since I'm putting that in the form of a question, well, you can ask that question to yourself. Ask yourself, do I ever get worried? Do I ever get anxious? Well, I imagine you do. I can't imagine there's anybody in the world that at some point in their life has not been worried about something, has not been anxious about something. Now, of course, some people are more so than others. You know, you've got these folks, they just seem to kind of roll with the punches, and they always seem to just be, you know, not really worried about much of anything, but I imagine they even worry about a few things. But some of us are much more active, I guess you could say, in our worrying and stressing about things. I know that personally I am prone to do that. In fact, a couple years ago I was diagnosed by my doctor with anxiety. So that was two years ago. I'm doing better managing it now. But at the same time, you know, there's certain things that can kind of trigger that anxiety and trigger that worry. And I'm sure that's the case with you. There's some things you don't really worry about at all, and other things they really kind of get to you and you start to worry about them. And if you have issues with anxiety, you're not alone. Because I looked up the statistics and a whopping 20% of the American population, that's about 65 million of us, 20% of the American population in any given year has anxiety that is medically diagnosed. One in five people. And furthermore, about 30% so almost a third of the population will experience that level of anxiety during some part of their life. That's a lot of people. That's, that's a, that's, those are some pretty big numbers. So again, we're not just you know 100% probably worried about something from time to time, but one in five Americans at any given time can be medically diagnosed with anxiety. Well, why is that? Well, there's a lot of things that we can worry about, right? There's a lot of things we can worry about. There's a lot of things that we can be anxious about. Uh, sometimes those things are, are very close and personal to us. There's stress factors that relate to family, uh, to employment, to school, medical conditions, and you could go on with that list. Uh, but some people are more worried about, I guess you would say, more macro level things. Uh, some people are very anxious, say, about the state of the economy at any given time, the, the, the state and direction of our nation at any given time, uh, the condition of our world. So sometimes there's a worry about kind of personal micro level things, but sometimes those worries can be macro level things. But the bottom line here is it seems like that as modern Americans, we're pretty anxious and stressed out people. Not that other countries and cultures don't deal with this, but it seems to be something that is very uh, prominent for us today. So thus, what Jesus has to say to us today in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a message that not only his original audience needed to hear, it's something that we need to hear today. This text, 
I, mean, I believe really hits a lot of people that are dealing with these things. So as I preached in the other sermons in the series, some of these words that Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, these can be hard words. These are hard words uh, because they, they strike many of us on a very personal level. In many ways, they strike at the core of our very human and fallen nature. So when I read words like this, this, this can be pretty convicting. You know, when I'm worried about something and Jesus says, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about it. So they can be convicting. But why would Jesus say this? I mean, doesn't Jesus know that there's a whole lot of things to worry about today? Well, of course he knows that. Of course he knows that. And he is here to give us the answers to our worries and anxieties. Now, Jesus uses a preaching and teaching strategy. Once again, we see him doing this. He's asking questions. It's oftentimes, they're rhetorical questions. He, he asks questions of his hearers. That was a very typical teaching style of the rabbis of his time. Um, it's also a, a teaching style that many preachers, including this one, will employ at times. of asking a question. Sometimes it's a question I want you to ponder. Sometimes it's a question, the answer is pretty obvious. But once again, we see Jesus doing that in his sermon here. Now, I want to ask you something else. Does anyone remember this little song? Does anybody remember this? Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no cash, ain't got no style, ain't not got no gal to make you smile. Don't worry, be happy. Who remembers that? Raise your hands. Just, just every, I think that's 100%. Maybe not the little guy over there, but everybody else remembers that. But would you believe that song went number one on the Billboard charts 35 years ago? 1988. Man, we're getting old, aren't we? 35 years ago. But everybody still remembered it in the congregation. Wow. Now, of course, it was a, the only really big hit of a guy named Bobby McFerrin. Um, it was sung in an uh, acapella with kind of a reggae beat. You know, you think of kind of the Caribbean reggae's laid back, you know, vibe to it. And that phrase, don't worry, be happy, it was actually around before that. Now, this may not be 100%, but maybe some of you were that around in the 60s and early 70s. There was this kind of an Indian... Uh, mystic named Nehar Baba who popularized that phrase as well in the 60s and, and early 70s. But it was really McFerrin's song in 1988 that made this a cultural phenomenon. I mean, it was on t-shirts, bumper stickers, everything. Don't worry, be happy. And it resonated with so many people. I think it's worse today, but even in 1988, a lot of people were stressed out. A lot of people were anxious, right? So it, it encouraged people. It's an encouraging, it's an uplifting song. But if you think about, I read you a few of the lyrics, that's probably half the lyrics of the song, they're pretty simple. But does he really tell you in the song why you should not worry and be happy? No. He just says, don't worry and be happy. Don't worry about any of the stuff that's going on. He doesn't really give us the why. It's basically be happy for the sake of happiness. It's certainly better than the alternative of being stressed and sad all the time, right? So just don't worry, be happy. Now, fortunately, God 
in the scripture today, in our Bible passage, Jesus, he goes a little bit deeper than a late 80s pop song. Because he tells us not just don't worry, be happy. He tells us why. He tells us why we don't have to worry and we can be happy. He tells us why we don't have to be anxious. And that's what we see in the text today. So ultimately, what Jesus is telling us in the Sermon on the Mount, it's that we should not worry or be anxious. Why? Because God is in control. Because God is in control. Now, yes, there are medical strategies to treat anxiety. There are people that are prescribed medications. You might be told by your doctor, well, you need to really eat better. You need to sleep more. You need to exercise more. All of these things will reduce your anxiety and your stress levels. It might even be listening to music, something like Bobby McFerrin, right? And I know some of you are musical folks, even if you don't really have a musical talent like me, I like to listen to music. And, and it, can, it can help not stress you out. When you come into church and you sing this great hymn, I mean, that, the Lord is, is really comforting you. But even just outside of that, you know, there might be certain songs you pull up on your playlist or something, and it encourages you when you're having a bad day. So all those things can be helpful to, to us. But the root, what is the root? We need to really address that. And to do that, we must look to the spiritual truth that Jesus is presenting. And it, it is this, since God is in control, God is in control. Well, that wouldn't really do us much good if God was, was an, an, an unjust and loving God, right? But he is a gracious and good God. So God is in control. That God is good and gracious. So we need to trust him. We need to trust him. The previous verse to this reading, verse 24, remember we heard that last week? And it really transitions into this point of the teaching. Now, if you forgot what that verse said, basically what Jesus said in verse 24 was, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve mammon. But you remember, mammon is materialism, a love of materialism. You're going to serve one of those things. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve mammon. And then he goes into what he says here. You see, the point is if we focus too much on mammon, when our focus and our world revolves around mammon, guess what happens? The more anxious and the more worried we're going to get, aren't we? But conversely, if our trust is in God, then our anxiety and our worry begin to melt away because we believe that he has provided what we need. Martin Luther said, You are surely the unhappiest people when you worry and do not choose to trust God. So this is what Jesus says, this is why, excuse me, why Jesus says what he says in verses 25 through 34. This is why he can say this, don't worry, don't be anxious. He gives us the reasons why. Because if all of our trust is in and our life is based on serving God and not mammon, well then those reasons for worry and anxiety, they start to diminish. They start to go away. And Jesus is not one to go small. I like to say, you know, Jesus goes big all the time. You know, the cliche, go big or go home. Jesus goes big when he's talking to us. He does. Because what does he tell us not to worry about specifically in the text? He says that we are not to worry about what we eat, what we drink, nor what we will wear. Now I say Jesus is going big here because these three things that he specifically tells us not to worry about, these three things are essential. 
essential for our survival on this planet, aren't they? There's a lot of other things that we worry about that aren't quite as important as these three things, right? What if Jesus had said, don't worry if your favorite sports team doesn't win? What if he had said, don't worry if you know that reality show you watch on TV and the person you want to win, don't worry if they don't win? What if Jesus had said, don't worry if the price of gas goes up? Well, if he said something like that, we might be more inclined to say, okay, this makes sense. Because while none of those things may be pleasant for us, we can rationalize if we step back and say, well, do those things really matter for my survival? You know, I mean, honestly, in five years, who's going to remember who won the World Series or the Super Bowl except for the hardcore fans, right? I mean, does this really matter in the long run? Yes, it's inconvenient to pay more for gas, but I'm still alive. It's more important to have food and drink and things like that. But Jesus doesn't say that in the sermon, does he? He doesn't give those kind of things that we can kind of rationalize and say, yeah, you know, it's kind of silly that I'm worried about that. He goes big. He says three things that we need, food, drink, and clothing. So if we are not to worry about those type of things, this takes some serious faith, doesn't it? This takes some real faith to not worry about these examples Jesus is giving us. And even here, what we see is Jesus is pointing us to the spiritual realm. Because what does he tell us? He says life is more than those things. As important as they are to our physical survival, there is more to life than only those things. There's the whole spiritual side of things. So to make the point, our Lord gives us three examples in the verses that follow. He uses, to counter these three things he says don't worry about, he uses illustrations of birds, lilies, and grass. Now keep in mind, when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he is not preaching it in a church with people sitting in pews, right? He's preaching it outdoors. Now I know our situation here is a little unique, because we are kind of outdoors here, we have these nice windows, we can see out, it's a little rainy today, but we got all this natural setting out here, but in a vast majority of churches, you can't see what's going on outside, can you, right? You can't see, you're, you're in there, you're listening to the service, but when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, why would he use these illustrations? Because very likely, as he's preaching this, he could literally point to those things. And we don't know for sure if he did that, but these are the illustrations he's using. So when Jesus says in verse 26, look at the birds in the air, there very well could have been birds flying by. Look at those birds over there. And what does he say about the birds? He says, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You see, birds don't do any of the things to produce and store food like people do. With people, we have someone growing and harvesting and storing and transporting all the food that we eat. The birds don't do any of that. But yet their table is always full. Yet every day, the birds break forth in beautiful song. Even though they have none of these things. Luther said, the birds, they sing matins every morning. They praise God every morning. So the point here is that birds, they don't get anxious 
just to worry about their food supply. God provides it for them. God provides it for them, and that's enough for them. Luther said this about the birds. He preached, he, that's Jesus, is making the birds our schoolmasters. It is a great and abiding disgrace to us that in the gospel a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and preacher. I would probably agree with that. There are probably some birds that are better theologians and preachers than some of the folks out there. But that's what he said. Jesus is making these birds theologians and preachers. They're teaching us what we need to know. Trust God. He's going to provide. Don't worry about it. Furthermore, verse 27 told us that worrying about these things won't do you any good. It won't add a single hour to your life. In fact, constant worry will take hours off your life. Verses 28 and 29, now Jesus turns our attention to clothing. He turns our attention to the clothing, and he says this, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. You see, Solomon was someone that his Jewish audience could definitely relate to. Because it was the reign of King Solomon was the height of power and prestige for Israel. And King Solomon, he got really rich, didn't he? Solomon had basically anything you could want in life, and he had lots of nice clothing. But Jesus is saying, hey, as great of clothing, the great of wardrobe, I mean, Solomon probably had the giant walk-in closets, you know, as great as clothing was, he can't compare to those lilies in the field over there. Anything that man can create, he said, God is just, look at this beautiful field of flowers that he's given you. More beautiful than anything. And God does this to lilies. The lilies, do they worry about what they will wear, what they will look like? No. They only cover themselves with what God has caused them to grow as. Finally, Jesus now turns his attention to even the lowly grass. Now again, I understand our context is kind of unique. We're on a golf course. We've got some good grass out here, right? We don't just have, like out my yard, whatever grows out there grows, you know. This, the, you know. But honestly, the grass, when you think of kind of a hierarchy of plants, for most folks, unless you work with grass, they probably choose like some kind of flower or big tree. And then actually in Israel at the time, what did they do with grass? Well, they didn't have a lot of trees there because it's kind of arid. So people burned the grass. They, they, they gathered the dry grass. They burned it to cook and to have heat and things like that. So God is saying, though, yet he even clothes and he even provides for the grass of the field. Even the lowly grass is provided for by God. So what Jesus tells us here, he specifically says in the text, hey, aren't you much more valuable than all of those things? So if God is going to take care of the birds, he's going to take care of the flowers, he's even going to take care of the grass, will he also not take care of you? Jesus then asked one of those questions, thus in verse 30, which hits home. He says, basically, if, you're, if you are worried about all these things, and look what he says, oh, you have little faith. Oh, you have little faith. So remember when we worry, when we become anxious about all these cares of our lives, what that is indicating is we are not trusting God. We are not having a complete faith and trust in God because if we're worried about these things, then God says, I'm going to provide for you. Verse 32. 
Jesus says the Gentiles seek after these things. Their view of God was not correct. You see, in the Gentile religions, they did not see God as a loving and generous father. They saw God as one who was to be appeased with all types of actions and sacrifices, things that they would do. And even in the church, we have to be on guard. We have to be on guard about being consumed with the cares of the world. The founder of Pennsylvania, William Penn, he said this way back in the 17th century. He said, it is a mournful reflection, but a truth which will not be denied, that these worldly lusts fill up a great part of the study, care, and conversation of Christendom. I don't think things have changed too much from the 16th century, right? Always a good thing to keep in mind. What are we spending our time on in the church? What are we worried about? We also remember that in the Sermon on the Mount, what has Jesus already taught us? Jesus taught a little while ago in the Sermon on the Mount that God is our Father. He says, when you pray, pray our Father. So by telling us that's who God is, He is our Father, that tells us that He has a desire to care for us. Now we're going to come back to verse 33 in just a couple minutes. But I want to go jump to the verse that Jesus closes the chapter on the Sermon on, on this chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. He closes it with a proverb. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love that there. It's so good. If we were to say this today, we might be saying Jesus is essentially saying, take it one day at a time. Take it one day at a time. There's going to be enough going on today where you don't need to really worry about tomorrow. Take it one day at a time. And you see, if you think about it, a lot of the times we worry, we worry about things in the future, don't we? We worry about things in the future. And you know what the thing about that is? Those things may or may not even happen. They might happen, but sometimes they don't even happen, do they? So we're spending time worried and anxious about something. It might not even happen. If that was not true, that people worried about things that may, may or may not happen. The television news, you know, when you have the Snowmageddon coverage, I call it Georgia, if that wasn't true, nobody would watch it. But everybody's, it's like a ball to a flame, that's why they put it on TV. And you know, half the time they start panicking about snow and everybody goes out and you buy all your, your bread and your milk and your eggs if you can afford them today and everything like that. Half the time it doesn't do anything, right? They cancel school and work and it's like, oh, sweat this morning, great. But where we worry about things, they might not even happen. Now many of you know, many of you that, that know me, and all of you know me at least a little bit, we're a pretty small church, that I'm a planner. I'm a planner. I like to have goals. I like to have a way that I'm going to reach those goals, and I even like to have in my goals this is probably going to happen, so this is how I'm going to overcome it to reach that goal. That's how I operate. If you've seen any of the, of the, uh, the, the outlines and plans that I've created for family vacations, they're legendary. I mean, we're talking multi-page documents with footnotes, and you know, Shoshana's laughing, right? This is, I'm not kidding, right? Okay. Yeah, mom's laughing too, right? Okay, so I, I'm a planner. I'll be, you know, this whole vacation, you know, this day we're going to see this, we're going to stay at this hotel, we might want to check out this restaurant, and all that will probably arrive at this time. Now some of that can be good, 
But those, those two lakes in Texona can be bad too, right? Had to kind of tone it down a little bit. We don't need every minute of the vacation planned. So I want to tell you a little story along those, those lines here that to illustrate we're talking about. Um, as many of you know, several years ago, uh, I took Reagan, our daughter, to, to Greece. And of course, I had my, I mean, that one was probably like 20, 25 pages. It's like two weeks, you know, we were over there. A lot of stuff, you know, to plan out. And uh, we went to a couple of islands, and you have to put your car on a ferry to get to some of these islands. And, you know, you can't drive to them. So we had taken a ferry, which was an interesting experience. We got to this one island, and then we were there for three days. And then we had to catch another ferry to go to the next island, get the car on that. So, okay, I'm a planner. I looked this up and planned it. We even made a dry run the day before, like I drove out to where the ferry place was. I knew how long it took to get from the hotel to the ferry site. I surveyed the area, how much space there was there already, right, you know? And so so we get there, we got there on time to catch the ferry, but it looked a little different than it did the next day because it was full of cars. I mean, it was like kind of chaotic. And, and then I'm not understanding because the line, certain people were like getting to go on and others weren't, like our line wasn't moving at all. And also, I didn't anticipate that this ferry going to the other, it was way smaller than the ferry the other day. So as more and more cars, I mean, you're talking sometimes big trucks are getting on there. I'm starting to think, we're not going to get on this thing. We're not going to get on this thing. But we get up there, and one of the, the, the Greek guys that worked, you know, at the ferry company, I rolled down my window, and I'm like, I hope this guy speaks English. And he didn't speak a little English. I said, I said, are we going to get on the ferry? You know, and he's like, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's like you might, you might not. I'm like, really? You know, this isn't good. And I asked, I, and I said, what if we don't get on the ferry? What happens? He said, you just wait for the next one. Just wait for the next one. Now, being a planner, I knew the next ferry was not until six o'clock that night. This is nine o'clock in the morning. Do you know what that's going to do to my itinerary? Right? We're going to have to sit here all day and do nothing. And he's just like, just wait for the next one. You don't even get the front of the line. No worries, right? So I, I told the guy, I said, you don't understand, sir. We have to get on this ferry. I have to get on this ferry. Well, there was a, a Coast Guard, I guess you'd say, officer. Like, he obviously saw there was this distressed American tourist, and they want to make the tourist happy. So he might have been an angel sent from heaven or something, but he got us on that ferry. He got us on that ferry. He put our little rental car in front of this big truck. I don't think cars are even supposed to get on there that far, but he, he got us on that ferry. But the point was, I was very stressed about this because this was ruining my plan. This was affecting the timeline. And the Greek guy just seems to kind of like, don't worry, just get the next one, which is all day later. So what's the point of all of this? How come the Greek gentleman in that story wasn't really concerned if I missed the ferry? Well, it actually wasn't just him, but it was probably most of the people in Greece. They have this attitude, they just kind of take things as they come. They take things as they come, because in their culture, there's a very strong belief in fate, or we, if we want to apply a Christian theological term to it, it would be providence. Basically, the belief is, what will happen, will happen. What will happen will happen. Why? Because God has willed it that way. So there's really no point in getting stressed out about it because if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Don't worry about these challenges. They're out of your control. 
attitude, you can become overly fatalistic, where you basically don't do anything. Eh, that's going to happen anyway, so eh, don't do anything. But on the other hand, many of us Americans, including this one, maybe we can learn a little bit of something from that, right? We can learn some lessons from some of these other cultures that say, don't worry and don't be anxious about everything because you can't control it anyway. If the fairy's full, the fairy's full. That's what was supposed to happen. Now, as promised, as I conclude this morning, I want to return to verse 33. And that verse, again, I always find, well, not always, but a lot of times I think there's like a key verse that jumps out here, and I think this is it for us. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Remember back to chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. What was the theme of that chapter? The theme of that chapter was the true nature of the law. The true nature of the law, and the point is, we ain't measured up to it. We fall way short of thinking we can keep that law. But now, as we have come to the end of chapter 6, what we are reminded of here is the key theme of chapter 6. The key theme of chapter 6 is true righteousness. Jesus contrasts false righteousness with true righteousness. What is true righteousness? Jesus has told us in chapter 5 clearly what sin is. And now in chapter 6, he has shown us what righteousness is. Because this is what it's really all about. We must be righteous to be a child of God and to enter his eternal kingdom. Remember, Jesus talked about this earlier in chapter 6. All of those worldly possessions, all of those earthly treasures, all of those things we spend so much time accumulating and worrying about, in the end, they're not going to help us, those earthly treasures. Luther preached on this verse, If you had the wealth and the might of the king of France and the Turkish emperor, what more would you have than a beggar at the door has with his crumbs? You see, our feeble attempts at righteousness they're just crumbs. They're just crumbs before a righteous and holy God. However, when we put God first, when we put God first, when we seek God above all else, when we have faith, I mean, we really have faith and trust in God, we become righteous. Now, this righteousness is not by anything that we have done, but it's by what He has done for us. It's His righteousness. In seeking the kingdom of God, we receive faith. The atoning work of Jesus is delivered by the Holy Spirit, and we become children of the loving Father. Romans 14, 17 sounds a whole lot like what Jesus is teaching here. Uh, the scripture says there, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost. It's incredible. As incredible as all this sounds, our wickedness is replaced by His righteousness. And in that, all things are added to us. Those things that we need, like food, water, clothing, and God in His mercy has given us so much more than that, hasn't He? There's no worry, no anxiety is needed. But it all starts, it all starts with righteousness. Without that, we have nothing. With it, we have everything. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.